Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome back to the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am Tom Holmes. Sadly, Leanne cannot join me this week, but I've got two brilliant guests to help fill that void. First up, we have got Alex. Alex, you have been on a few times now. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, thanks, Tom. It's nice to be back on the Writers Pod. Um, yeah, that's um, been a brilliant start to the season. And writing about Liverpool has been rather enjoyable, more enjoyable than I can remember any season being so uh yeah it's nice nice to be on thanks for having me yeah it's great to have you on and it's um great to be talking um sadly we're not going to be talking about uh six seven eight foreign players this week but we will be talking about <laughs> <Van Alden>. oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and we've also got... although i'm not sure if you've seen but our boy florian tolvon has been absolutely killing it for marseille so if you want to go into tangents then um, <laughs> uh, we'll find an excuse to go on a tangent somewhere and um, we're joining myself and alex this week we've got stefan stefan how are you Buzzing with storage fever. You are you are not the only one. I've got my storage article already up. Hopefully that will be out in the next couple of days. All right, so we will start with, as mentioned, Jeannie Vinealden, because Alex, you've written a really, really good article on Jeannie, so I'll let you kick us off, and I'll let you describe the article, and then we can get into it. Thanks, thanks, Tom. Um, so, yeah, it was essentially uh, some praise for Jeannie that I think was deserved, overdue perhaps, um, and... Look, he seems to be the constant in this Jurgen Klopp side, despite not necessarily being the most glamorous player or not fulfilling the most glamorous role. And uh, it was important, and and I've used the word vital a few times, um, to, to be able to ascertain exactly what GD's role is in this side and why it is that he's always in that first team lineup. Perhaps even more than people realise, because he started more games than pretty much any other Liverpool midfield has over the last two seasons. Um, he starts games that perhaps people say he shouldn't, because uh, out of kind of not necessarily ignorance, because they do have a point, but more out of kind of them not realising the influence that we miss when he's not there, and and throughout our Champions League run last. Last year, in those semi-finals and quarter-finals, the game against Roma, which he scored, um, the group games, but also kind of the big Premier League games too, our midfield functions in a different way than what it does against kind of the lower teams that we would would blow out of the water, four, five, six, sometimes seven um, goals to nil. So Genie's role, which was described by... um, Former host of of the podcast I'm I'm hosting now, the community podcast, Leroy Ma, a long time ago or a few months ago, indeed, was basically tactically different depending on the game we played, but 
without it, we would create significantly less chances and we'd move the ball significantly slower. And that's the reason why he started so much. Of course, Emery Chan and Jordan Henderson both had their fitness problems, but for Genie to be the key, like I say, the key cog in the machine, for him to be the one that Klopp turns to and says, if we don't have you in the midfield, we suffer. Um, that goes to show, I think, and that highlights exactly why he's become so important. I felt he needed some love. Um, and, and then he, and then for this season, for him to start as well as he's done, not simply in the role that we've seen him so, we've become so accustomed to him playing, but in number six role, in a retreated kind of, that reduced the role, shoving players off the ball, kind of collecting deep, rotating play, spreading and and um and, and and multiple times kind of being the fulcrum. That's brilliant and that's excellent. And uh the evolution of G has been been tremendous to watch. Um and I love him. I felt like I just couldn't, couldn't lavishly kind of praise him as uh, as much as I as possibly could. So it was it was definitely an article that I enjoyed writing. Um and I felt like it got a quite a good response as people realised, yeah, you know what? Genie is our he's our boy, he's our constant, and he's our one of the vital cogs of the machine. Yeah, it definitely helps uh, to write articles like this at a time when players are playing well as well, because you can get a more positive response to it in general. Um, Stefan, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the article and on Genie in general. Well, Genie, I think, is kind of an embodiment to how Klopp manages the, the team. Because his role, I think, changed now three times in three seasons. As, as Alex mentions in the article, and I, I think Klopp believes in kind of a positionless football where everybody can play everywhere. And he just nurtures the talent to fit a certain role that, that's needed for the system. And Gene has been great. I think this season, maybe he's had his up and downs last season, especially in the beginning, but I think for now over maybe eight months. Maybe more. Ten months, maybe. He's been just brilliant. And uh, there was the stat on the last international break that he was the first Dutch player to complete 100% of his passes in the national team game for like, I don't know, five, ten years, something like that. So what, what he's asked to do within the system, he does very well. And I think the system with club trumps individual players. Uh, and Jin is great. Okay, so, so a lot of positive praise for Genie. I want to um, sort of get into some of the nitty gritty of it now, and we'll go back to you, obviously, Alex. Um, Genie's positioning is something that's been interesting because this season we've seen him play in the six quite a bit more than we have previously. In, this, in previous seasons, he's played sort of in the eight. So do you want to talk a little bit about how his roles maybe changed this season and how that's benefiting his general gameplay? Yeah, well, um, basically, when we saw in pre-season that Kater was playing kind of at the base of the midfield, and really, and Klopp was talking about him about being, about being a six. We all thought, you know, okay, that's not going to last because he, as good as he can be at the six, he's a, he's a number eight through and through. He needs to get on the ball. He needs to start dribbling. He needs to press. And to do that in this 4-3-3, you need to be one of the two more advanced midfielders, not necessarily the six. Um, last season, we saw a change. We, we saw basically the 4-3-3 change from a, a one at the base with two ahead. Uh, to, to a two at the base with one ahead. And what that meant was basically Jordan Henderson would play six and he would either be 
flanked by uh, James Milner or Emre Chan, they would do the ball retention and they would do a lot of the defending and pressing midfield together. And that would mean less strain on, on the defence because they had more coverage in front of them. Virgil van Dijk's arrival meant that um, there, there could be more, not just like combative and physical, but they could cover more ground. And if they had the protection from midfield, then in and basically you point a two and then a one, then our counter-attacks could be better. Now, that was defensively very sound. That worked for the Champions League run-up. Um, what it meant in the Premier League was essentially we'd have to, and the Champions League too sometimes, we bypassed them our midfield to get to the front three. Our midfield was very much doing a role, a job, a water-carrying kind of collective um, work ethic that, that sometimes limited how much they were able to show their creative style and, to be fair to Klopp, our midfield did not have much creativity last season. Um, I, when Coutinho dropped deep a couple of times, that was probably the most creative it's been and even then he didn't do enough pressing to really make that viable. So what this season showed with Naby was that we could tweak it and we could change it and go back to kind of a more involved midfield, a midfield that feeds our front three more, a midfield that scores more. And then all of a sudden that evolved into Genie being the number six. And he was, he's been superb on the ball. Um, like Stefan said, that the international game... Well, the, the passing numbers were just unbelievable. But last season, his passing percentage was somewhere, I believe it was as close to 90% as, as makes no difference. I believe it was 89.9% or something of that ilk. His passing success in, in, which to be fair is, is relatively automatic passes. He's the automaton. He just keeps the ball ticking over. It's kind of flawless. So you've got to think that when he's, Passing at that level, there's no reason why he shouldn't be the six, uh, and shouldn't be the base of the midfield. And, and he's absolutely killed it because he's brought the tackling and brought the physical stature and been able to, to bring the defensive capabilities. And at the same time, he keeps, he keeps, um, the ball ticking over at the same intervals and even managed to still be progressive with dribbling because our midfield's got a lot more dynamic this year. We're, we're less used to just our midfield being bypassing it to our front three and more accustomed to it getting involved, uh, marking out those those tough wingers that seem to always threaten us. Wolfram Zaha against Palace, Philippe Anderson against West Ham. Uh, it was extremely surprising for me to see Genie utilised as a six, considering he never played there for PSV. He was always an eight. Certainly didn't play there for Newcastle. But it's not entirely surprising when you think about it and you say okay well his skill set since joining Liverpool excellent ball retention, great water carrier, physically superb why shouldn't it work as a six and then he's kind of made Jordan Henderson look a bit of a fool in that he's saying yeah I can do your role and I used to be a striker I used to be an attacker um, obviously they're different and, and Jordan Henderson has his own merits and his own pitfalls but for Genie to come explode as this number six at the start of the season and then seamlessly transition back to the eight. Uh, as Klopp said, it's it's brilliant to have a player who can be so versatile and do both. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is that his you talk about his passing game, his passing game's always been very um 
pass, move the ball three yards, move the ball three yards, move the ball three yards, keep the ball moving. Don't necessarily do too much explosive with it. Just keep the ball moving. That's always been the same. I think that's why everyone says, well, why is he necessary for the team? And then you take that out and you realise that our forwards can't get the ball. ball. Yeah. Yeah. What I was going to say is that I think it's really interesting that when he moved to the six, his passing range has got more expansive. Oh, he's um yeah his um his passing range has got more expansive. He's been his role has changed a little bit, and he's equally effective playing those sort of Henderson-esque spray passes. Which um so yeah, I think it's just really interesting how his role how his role just subtly changes. Um, so I'll move on to you now, Stefan. Sort of um ask a sort of similar sort of question. Um, what do you think Genie's best role is in this team going forward this season? Do you think we're likely to see him continue to play in that sort of eight role with Fabinho likely to start more games? Or is it the case that he's actually kind of nailed down that six role in the last sort of a uh, few weeks of the season? Because he's looked noticeably, in my opinion anyway, he's looked noticeably slightly less impressive when he's been forced to play in that eight role uh, alongside Henderson Milner. But I suppose it's a different kind of role in the team. What do you make of it? Well, but it also depends because maybe he would be better in the eight if Fabinho's behind him. So, I mean, we haven't seen that, so we don't really know. I don't think... Anybody except maybe Van Dyke and, and Firmino or nailed on starters and Alisson. Because Pop will rotate. Uh, we are now getting into, into a really tough, uh, part of the schedule where we'll, we're going to be playing two times a week, basically until December. So I think we'll see him in both the eight and the six and with different configuration in midfield. I assume Fabinho will start playing more after the, the break. Uh, that's coming now. So maybe Ginny is better in the eight with Fabinho behind him rather than Henderson. And maybe also Henderson is better as an eight with Fabinho as the six. So there, there will be plenty of games and, and we'll see. But what Klopp sees is just skill set and a role. And if the skill set fits the role, he doesn't care if you are a career right winger who now needs to play left back for a season. It's just skill set in a row, and so far he's been very good at identifying which player skill set will fit exactly which role in the system. Yeah, definitely. We've seen what you know. We've seen one or two noticeable question marks on over certain players' positionings, but overall, I think for the vast majority of positions, Klopp's got spot on. I think it's really interesting. Bobby Firmino is probably the best example of that. You know, he comes to the club, and everyone expects him to play either in the ten or you know off one of the wings, and then Klopp says, "No, this guy's my number nine." This guy is going to be my striker. I know it's obviously interesting that that was something that the sort of I don't think it's necessarily just because that is something that Bobby was identified as being the sort of striker before we even knew that Klopp was going to join the club. So I think that's you know it's I think it's really interesting, really interesting. Van Adam's another one. You know he was he was bought with the intention of playing as that sort of box to box midfielder, but also you know versatility. But they saw a player who was playing the majority of his games as an attacking midfielder and went, this guy is going to be a box to box because as you say, Stefan, it's all about the um. It's all about the the attributes rather than necessarily the uh the the uh, the player themselves and the position that they've played previously. Um, so we'll move sort of off positioning itself and sort of talk about. I want to briefly talk about his fitness, Alex, because you said you know he started the most games in the, in the Premier League in the last two two seasons of Liverpool's midfielders. He doesn't ever seem to get injured, does he? Like he's he's just such a such a unique physical specimen. He almost, I can't think of a time he's missed more than about two games in a row through injury. No, yeah, that's that's true, and I can't. Think of a time during his career, either where he's been severely hampered by fitness issues. For Liverpool to have a midfielder so 
combustible on the injury front. At least it was with um, Henderson and Emre Chan, who who suffered uh, similar-ish fitness, fitness issues. Obviously, they weren't at Henderson, Henderson's level with the heel because that, medically speaking, is a absolute shambles or a mess that's uh, is just so difficult to. to properly going to judge on whether he'll be able to play anything like the Henderson we knew uh, ever again. But, um, yeah, for, for Genie to be the constant is not only as impressive as, as, as it is. He's got, he had 60, he's had 60 starts in the last two seasons. Um, 33 last season and 27 the season before. I might have those looked around. But, uh, James Mills has made 52, Mr. Dependable. Um, and he's been used by Klopp a lot. In different roles, obviously he was left back two seasons ago. Jordan Anderson, 49 following that, and then Ray Chan, 50. It goes, that those numbers in itself represent the fitness issues that we've had. To be able to say that our most dependable midfielder is Genie One Eldon, considering we signed him as a backup attacker, is rather humorous when you look at it. But like you said, it, it's about attributes, not about necessarily predetermined positions. So Genie's been misdependable and he's been um, the the rock in that midfield, and most importantly, he's done it in different ways, whatever's asked of him. Uh, and he even played centre back, which was amazing because uh, I'm not sure that anyone, when he was playing PSV, scoring goals and captaining their side and playing as this really progressive kind of bombarding number eight, or for Newcastle that matter, when he was scoring all those home goals and then basically being their only attacking outlet. I'm not sure any of any fan watching then thought, you know what, one day he's gonna be in a back three. Because it was just never gonna it was never gonna happen. I, I, mean, I remember I, the quote from Klopp was basically um, the interviewer asked, oh, you surprised us all with the putting GD and Emre in, in a back three today and Klopp responded with, Yeah, I surprised GD and Emre as well. So I'm not sure he would have picked that either. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I kind of, I remember that game because I I couldn't watch the game because I was in I was in London for a friend's birthday and I was playing uh, mini golf uh, and we were it was like it was a mini golf mini golf bar so I had a beer in one hand and a mini golf club in the other and I checked my phone and my friend was like Genie's playing in a back three and I was like Am I drinking beer or is this has, has <laughs> Who's someone my drinks? Like yeah. Am I hallucinating right now? Did I just see Genie's playing in a back three? I was like Right, well. This will be interesting, and obviously, yeah, and obviously it worked and, out okay. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. And then you you saw it happen, and a lot like what everything we've seen happen, a lot like this season with the six. Your first reaction is, hang on a second, no, that that can't possibly be right. And then you see it, and it works, and you go, well, I'll be damned. Yeah, okay, he was right. Now that I think about it, of course it was going to happen. Of course he could play centre back. Of course he could play the six. What am I talking about? So it's so- just. Uh, is, yeah. is, and the game against PSG, he was up against the midfielder who I've written about, um, that a lot of people kind of scouted out at the start of the season to be Genie's replacement and Adrian Rabio. And PSG needed someone to control the midfield, to keep the ball ticking over, to, to feed their, okay, fair enough, the front three weren't doing much to help the rest of the team, but to feed that front three. Um, and Rabio failed miserably if that was an audition. And Genie bossed it, absolutely. Like killed the game as kind of that number eight, and then dropped back into a number number six role. Um, it's just staggering how his his longevity in this side has been 
so unheralded for so long, even when he's played centre-back and left wing and number eight and number six and hybrid eight and six. Um, and, and, and we've seen him have license to bomb on as well against Spurs. He's had a nice little back heel pass fed to him that he had on the, or he ate up on the counter and he's been offensively great too when he had, when he's had the chance, but it seems like all this stuff kind of it fades away when he's less visible. And um, my, my, the sentence I use in the piece is it's a role that goes unappreciated uh, until he's in a point where it does get appreciated or it can get appreciated because only then do you notice how integral it is. Speaking for myself, I mean, Genie's a player that I've always been kind of frustrated by. I thought in his first season there were a few flashes of brilliance. Obviously in his first season, you know, he contributes really well in an attacking sense. I think I think he is one of those players that I just think he's he fits Klopp so well. He's one of those players that I'm starting to appreciate more and more as the season goes on, especially when you sort of look a bit more in detail at what he does. But he's one of those players where it's like you say, you know, he's such a Klopp player, and he's not necessarily the sort of you know when you when you talk about Klopp players or players that you know you in, associate with Klopp, Ginny's not necessarily one of them. You know, you think about Milner, you think about Firmino. You think about even someone like Van Dijk, people say he's a clock player. But I think Genie, Genie's a proper clock player because he'll basically, you can stick him in. And as long as the system is working, Genie's really, really important. And that's just because he's such a big player in the system. I think part of the problem that we've had is that Genie's had a lot of games where the system maybe hasn't worked around him. And that's not necessarily his fault. But he's always been one of those players who, for me, I wanted to see more of outside the system, if that makes sense. Because in many respects, I like players that function well when the system functions well. I think they're really important to the side, but we need one or two players, especially in that midfield, that can kind of step up when the system's not quite working particularly well. Um, and I think increasingly we're seeing Genie is a really good player in, in, in and out the system. You're starting to see, you know, he can function any, almost anywhere in that team, which I think is really, really important for the side to have players like him. Uh, I think, as I say, Milner's another one, and they sort of, they do the job that may, maybe is an underappreciated job. Um, so, Stefan, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on all of this, because obviously we've talked quite a bit about about uh, the system and Genie's role in it. But yeah, just anything you want to add regarding uh, maybe Genie's role in the system or anything else that jumped out from the article to you? Well, the article focuses basically on positive stuff and there's still some stuff that maybe, uh, or some parts of his game that he can still improve. Finishing being one of them, I don't know how he, maybe it's because he's not doing it as much anymore, but he's one of, he has the strange knack of just fluffing shots that it's a good position then he just completely mishits it which I assume frustrates a lot of people me included especially right after the game when you're more more emotional but as to his place in the system I I think the last like I said the last not couple of months but half a year or maybe ten months I think he's found his role and, and he's been getting better and better in it. Or maybe Quop found his role. I don't know which, which comes first, but he's been, he was instrumental in the Champions League. And I, I know we, we, at one point we stopped really caring about the league last season, but whenever he was called upon, he delivered exactly what to expect of him. You can't have a team of 10 Lionel misses. You need somebody to recycle the ball and do stuff that doesn't get really appreciated or doesn't jump at you when, when you're watching the game. And, and, and Gene is that. 
you can dominate midfield without assisting, without even key passes. If you just intercept the ball and, and move it quickly to get the defense moving, to, to create space for, for, for runs for the attackers, you're, you're doing your job and you can be dominating without, uh, really jumping out on the screen or on, on the start sheet. Yeah, I agree with that. I do, I do think I want to see more from him in an attacking sense. I think, you know, overall, I'm not sure his, his contributions to the attack, particularly last season, was anything to write home about. Um, even when you compare him to the rest of our midfield, which is potentially, potentially an issue. Um, especially when you look at things like his XG chain, which measure, you know, how much players contribute to attacks without necessarily having to, be the ones playing the key passes he's very low on that sort of thing so that is something that I would like to see more from him this season but again I think that's kind of a tactical thing it's not necessarily his role in the side um to be out not not even necessarily outrightly creative just uh you know contributing to the attack in a positive sense I think you know you compare his numbers from 16 17 and his numbers from 17 18 and there's you know there's no way that that is not tactical there's no way that, that he's not playing a comp- almost a completely different role despite playing in the same position, which is something that I think you alluded to earlier. Um, but yeah, I would like to maybe see more output in an attacking sense from him. I think it's something he can contribute more. Um, I guess the other question is, um, you know, how integral is he to that midfield? Because, you know, this is, you mentioned back in the last season, the back in the last season, what was important was we had five players who were very similar. We had five players who were fulfilling similar roles. And I, I'm, this is something that I noticed, you know, I was looking this through. There was a spell of a, in sort of, when we were playing really well in January, February, March, there was a spell where you could put in any of our three midfielders and they would work so well. And I think that's maybe one of the better things about Genie, but also maybe one of the, um, maybe not downsides, but he's one of those players who he does the job in that system perfectly. So in many respects, that's a positive because, you know, you can sub him in for basically any other role in that midfield and it'll work. But equally, I think you can take him out and he's not necessarily, um, one of the players that would stand out, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you take out Mo Salah, the team notices. I'm not sure it's necessarily quite the same with Genie. Um, Alex, is that something that you notice from him that he's such a such a good team player that he can almost sort of the fl- the floor being for him that he almost fits the role too well? Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. He um he almost fits the role. He's been cast in too well because he he's he's good at what he needs to do for that role. And then obviously sometimes there's not a point or not a Obvious point for that role. Um, on the offensive side of things, last season he took basically one shot per game, both Champions League and, and, and Premier League, which is not high numbers. Um, I think what you said, Tom, is definitely right in that his role inhibits him tactically from, from being all that offensive, but at the same time, he should be doing more. Um, and we've already seen him score this season from set pieces which I think we'll get onto later, but also for at Roma last season, the way he scored, he's, he comes up with big goals. I think when it matters, even though his first was, was the sixth and the six one win. Um, I think tactically he's allowed to flourish in the ways that if the entire team is flourishing and the entire team is, is on point, then you won't notice it because he's probably the, seventh or eighth most important player when our, when our side is dominating a game against a lower side. Um, however, this season we've seen against Brighton, against PSG and against Spurs games where we weren't necessarily flourishing, but we won because Genie was flourishing, among others. 
and last season we'd see the attack basically carry us through. And I think that was one of the issues with last season was we were relying on three people a lot of the time. Four, if Van Dyke would bail us out. Um, we we were rely, heavily reliant on a counter attack that was basically move the ball as quickly as possible, bypass it, and, and by that respect, the opponent's midfield, get to get to the front three, let them into interweave and interlock, um, let the passing be quick and direct, and a lot of times short and devastating, and then our midfield's there for when the opposition's trying to trying to press through us and, and needs to be more active defensively. Against Brighton, Genie was an absolute rock in the heart of that midfield, but he also created it. He, he was also progressive and playing at the base, playing as a six, he was excellent. Uh, and and against Palace too, similar thing where, you know, our midfield wasn't necessarily setting the world on fire, but it didn't get overtaken. And when we needed to feed that front three, he was there. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, against PSG, different kind of game. Big game, and Genie comes up Trump. So for him to be more of a creative player this season, I'm not sure is necessary. For him to be a different kind of player, I think, is necessary. But that's the different kind of player that, that caused me to write this article. That it, The fact that he started so well is why I'm lauding him with this praise. It's because he's adapted as he has every time Klopp's asked him to do something, into playing a role which no one really saw him as the number six. Um, and and I, that's exactly the way I opened the article, is is kind of jokingly, if anyone saw Genie playing for Newcastle and said he's going to be a number six one day, that people would have been laughed at, and rightly so. Um, he's the most adaptable player in this squad, in my opinion, because he's just always being asked to to tactically shift his role slightly and tweak everything slightly. So, yeah, he's been he's been absolutely impressive, but who knows what he'll play this season? Who knows what role he's going to play over the next six months, eight months, because he could be a completely diff- different position in a completely different setup. And if he is, I have no doubt that he'll perform that admirably, and he'll, he'll still be a mainstay of this team when Fabinho and Keita uh, and every case, come through and, and, and get settled in. Um, because in that three midfield, I think right now, Genie is the one that can't be dropped. Um, even though Milner's so impressive, he's 32 and his role is very specific and he'll probably come in and out of the team. He's the classic do a job guy, whereas I think Genie is now vital. Absolutely vital. Interesting. Um, I think just a couple of, I'll, we'll move on in a sec. Just a couple of quick things I want to respond to there. I think first of all, I think Genie is, uh, I think I think he's been phenomenal in the sixth role. I think his role has really changed this season, and I, I very much agree with you in the sense that you know I wouldn't be expecting more from him in an attacking sense if he's playing in midfield with Cater and Milner because those two have both been two of the best progressive midfielders in the Premier League, and in an attacking sense, both of those are going to contribute far more than you'd expect Genie to. Um, but when he's playing with the likes of maybe Henderson, maybe Fabinho, I would be expecting more from him offensively. I think the Chelsea game's a good example of one where I'd say you know Milner played well, but I think he could have contributed more to the attack um so i think it isn't it is going to be interesting going forward to see where, what his role in this side is i i, I do disagree I th- in the sense that i think milner is as has made himself undroppable this season i think milner's been phenomenal but i think both of them to an extent have basically said we're not gonna be dropped you know you're gonna have to find a way to fit us both into this midfield which is, is really great it's great to be in a situation you know a month and a half into the season where we've got 
two central midfielders who aren't our two new signings, who are both playing out their skin. Um, Stefan, is there anything you wanted to add to Genie? Otherwise, we can move straight on to your article. Maybe Genie and Milner, to your point, not going to the World Cup, maybe contributed to that. And with Fabinho and Nabi obviously being nurtured in and not thrown directly into the fire. And I, I honestly don't think anybody can be other than Van Dijk, Alisson, and, and maybe Firmino is undroppable. Because the way that the club system works is it, it, it will work to a certain level no matter who's playing. So I, we very, very rarely drop our performance below a, a, a threshold that's acceptable. So even if you start last season when we had the midfield injury crisis, Trent was playing uh, defensive midfielder, I think. He was the sixth. And Quine was playing the right winger. And it still, it wasn't bad, per se, right? It, it still worked. It wasn't as good as when we when we have our best players in. But the system Pop has in place kind of makes uh, a greater sum than the sum of the parts, if that makes sense. So I don't think Gene is undroppable. I, I think he's improved a lot since he, his tactical role shifted. And now he's kind of bearing the fruits of it. Because he's getting more praise and... People have forgotten the whole ghost thing, I hope. So I'm looking forward to seeing what, what he will offer with the different midfield configurations that are coming. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so we'll move on to talk about your set pieces article then, Stefan, because set pieces have been a really, really important part of Liverpool's start to the season in an attacking sense. We've scored a lot of goals from set pieces so far this season. So um, if you want to sort of get, uh, get into it for us then, sort of, sort of introduce your article and we can have a quick chat about it and then we'll get into, the, get into it. So yeah, so the idea for the article came from actually the the WhatsApp group. Somebody complained about the the commentator saying that we, we suck at set pieces, which obviously isn't true anymore. So I just looked up the the numbers from the last five seasons and uh, kind of wanted to to see if there's a trend of continuous improvement. And what I found out was that defensively we've improved massively over the last three seasons. Um, and offensively, we are now back to levels that can actually put you with the best of, of the best in the league on scoring from set pieces. And that has actually helped us a lot because our finishing from open play has been kind of off to begin with and set pieces have bailed us out to, to start the season this good. Um, so the, the essence of it, and, and I also looked at the, the, the other teams, so usually the champion does pretty well at set pieces. And a very interesting case was Man City. So in Guardiola's first season, it took them a 100 corners to score their first goal from a corner. And then last season, they were the best team in the league in set pieces. So it maybe is kind of random, but also being good at it, really, really, really helps you to challenge for the league. Um, and there are some numbers in, in the article. Maybe we can get to them later. But that's the, the essence of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I remember looking about two-thirds of the way, maybe the back end of last season, and our set pieces were pretty much bang average in the league in both respects, I believe. Um, I'm looking at your graph now, and yeah, we were pretty much, we were slightly below, I think we were slightly below average in terms of 
set pieces scored, but we were slightly below average in terms of set pieces conceded as well. So defensively, I mean, if you look at the graph in your article, you know, the, the difference is, is kind of big. Differences, I wouldn't go quite as far as say it's staggering, but it's a huge difference year on year since Klopp's come in defensively. Um, in an attacking sense, I think there's certainly a lot of momentum this season in particular. You can see we're scoring a lot of set-piece goals. And they're coming from a lot of different sources. You know, you've got the likes of Firmino and Sturridge, who are very sort of clinical finishers, if that makes sense. They just find their good positioning. Firmino in particular, I think, is a good source of goals from corners, which is maybe one of his underappreciated elements of his game. I don't think a lot of people necessarily appreciate Firmino's heading ability. Uh, and then obviously you've got the likes of Van Dijk, Joe Gomez, who are good in the air anyway. And But Genie's a weird one, but he sometimes... he you know, he manages to find goals from, from set pieces. Um, so, Alex, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, just sort of in general, and then we obviously can go into some of the numbers, but what do you make of Liverpool at, on set pieces? Maybe let's sort of say this calendar year, so back in the last season, and then sort of the start of this season. Well, it's quite curious and almost enjoyable, considering how how much misery we had to endure from corners, but now corners are less, um, unless they happen in the last six minutes of of uh, regulation time um, are less kind of threatening for us in terms of absolutely bricking it and more potential counter-attack weapons and, and the fact that we are so dangerous on the counter-attack we are so dangerous when given space means that corners are now less of a like monster to be afraid of and more of a potential weapon to use um, and offensively I think we've been excellent um from set pieces ourselves, but also from kind of where we concede them. It's less about, okay, please don't concede, please don't, please don't concede, please don't concede, and more about, okay, where's Mo? Where's Mane? We've got lots of space. We need to clear the ball quickly. Uh, in the same way that the Arsenal game last year, we saw Salah bolt the, pretty much the extent of the pitch past Bearing and slot, and slot that lovely goal. Um, these, these days set pieces, both offensively, given the kind of talents of Matip, Van Dyke, Gomez, um, Genie, as you said, uh, but also defensively using them as counter-attacking options. It's, it's, it's nice to be able to say we turn our Achilles heel around and, and turn it into some sort of weapon. So, um, yeah, it's the way that our team plays now in that we are able to carve out more chances from set pieces that we can see, but also... Whenever we're afforded space, we obviously use it. We eat it up because we've got very fast players and a corner affords space. So now opposition teams have to think twice about, well, Liverpool's weak from set pieces because as, as Stefan explains in the article, that's a fallacy and it's a logical fallacy now. And we're using them as a weapon in more ways than one, both offensively and defensively. So it's great to be able to say that and to be able to finally move on from this whole Liverpool's Achilles heel thing, because while it was true, it did get overblown a lot. And Van Dyke, one of the things he remedied very quickly was the lack of impetus whenever we considered a set piece. And, and that height's really come in handy, but also being able to say, okay, we've conceded a corner. It's not about us not conceding now. It's about the opposition team managing to contain us once we do get this ball clear. So come on, lads. I hope you're all on your toes. I hope you're all ready because we're about to go down the other end and make the opposition keep opposition keeper really uneasy. I think it's something that it's just about weapons as much as anything else. It's about having different weapons in your arsenal and being able to hurt teams in different ways. This is something that someone like Manchester United, when they were really good, you know, this was something that, you know, 
they get they'd always have if they needed a goal from somewhere they they could just get a goal off a corner you know there were so many situations where you just think they're gonna they're gonna do us here on a corner um and i think i think a really good example of this this is west ham away last year where we were we were rancid for about 20 minutes and then we scored off one of their corners then two minutes later we scored off one of our corners and that was it for the first half like we were really awful in my opinion for the first 45 minutes but two goals in three minutes one off one of their corners one off one of our corners and suddenly we're laughing um so yeah, I think you know we've had a couple of games like that this season where we've not necessarily played particularly well, but at an important time in the game we've scored a corner or a free kick, and it's just made such a big difference to the side. Um, I mean, the Southampton game is a great example. All three of our goals from that game came from set pieces, two from corners, and one from a free kick. And it just it just it can deflate opposition teams as well when they're defending really well from open play, and then you go and head one in off a corner, and it just it can really hurt teams. Um, so, Stefan, I want to get into some of the numbers because, you know, you've done a really good article full of really good numbers. So why don't you talk us through some of the numbers, both in sort of in terms of attack and in terms of defence, if you can, sort of the key highlights of the numbers. So I, I took the last five years because that's uh, how much data Understat has. So all, all the data is from Understat, which means uh, on goals are not included because on goals don't count as shots. So they, they just don't include them in the total. So that's kind of the, the asterisk behind it, but I don't think on goals change the, the the big picture much. So the interesting thing is 14-15, right after in 13-14 in we were amazing attacking set pieces. I don't know, Skirtle scored like eight goals, seven goals, I, I don't remember, but we were just scoring a lot from corners, but we were also conceding a lot. But then once uh, Suarez left and and with Gerard getting older, I don't think we had good delivery and our attacking output just plummeted in 1415. Uh, then in 1516, we, we scored a lot of set piece goals again. We scored 14 goals and, but also conceded 14, which is, which is just Liverpool are usually one of the teams that concedes the fewest corners in, in the league because obviously we have more position. We attack more. So we don't have to defend as much as. Some, some other teams, usually the top teams, City, Liverpool, Chelsea, not as much Man United, but Arsenal, they don't concede a lot of corners. And for us to concede 14 corners, uh, 14 goals from set pieces in a season is just very, very, very bad. Um, and I actually did a, an article on set pieces at, at the end of that season and out of the 14 goals, I think 12 were from second balls where they're just panic. So what used to happen with Skirto and Mignolet and Lovren basically being the, the main people in, in defense was if we can't clear the ball first time, they're just panic and either the second or the third ball just somehow gets in, gets into our net. And I think when, when Skirto left, kind of that, the, some of that panic left with him and things stabilized a bit defensively. And then Van Dyke came and he's so calm. Like you can see him just not giving a damn and putting the ball up for a corner because he knows he's going to defend it and clear it. And Allison coming in also helps because he's a unit and he's much more decisive than both uh, Arius and Mignolet when it comes to claiming crosses or punching them. With Mignolet and Karius, you, you, you kind of had the feeling that they don't know if they want to catch the ball or to punch it. So sometimes they're left in between and there, there were just this uneasy sense of 
uh, this he's just going to flop the ball and and something bad's going to happen. You don't get that feeling with Allison. Not that he's he's had too much to do yet, but he just seems a lot more composed in his de- decision making when coming out of of his line to to claim ball. So so and, and then the other thing is with with Mo and Sadio, we're actually kind of like in FIFA, we're a threat on the other team's corners. So this season we've conceded one from a corner against Spurs, but we've also scored one from an opposition corner against Palace. So it's kind of, uh, yeah. But there has been for like three seasons now, uh, a continuous improvement defensively. And this season, the offense is just, I, I don't think this is sustainable. What we've done, uh, and I say it in the article, it's not sustainable what we've done this season so far. But even if we continue at, at half the rate that we're scoring uh, at, up to this point, we're in very good shape for, for some very good numbers at the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We've got some really good numbers pitching up already. Is it? Do we agree it was six uh, set-piece goals we've scored so far this season? Six. Six in, in the league if you count the own goal uh, against Southampton, the first one. Um, you counting your penalties as well? No, no, penalties. Just uh, free kicks and, yeah. and corners. Yeah, I make it five goals from corners, one free kick, and then obviously Milner's penalty as well in the league so far this season. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, you mean that, that's pretty remarkable, right? That's almost half our goals from set pieces, which is pretty pretty outstanding, really. And uh, even, and, say, it's and just Van Dijk, Van Dijk hasn't scored yet. Neither is Gomez. Yeah, but Van Dijk hasn't scored yet, and he's supposed to be our main threat from set pieces, or one would assume he is. That's that's why I, I think it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because you look at you know set pieces, who are the players you would expect to be scoring from set pieces. It's not necessarily the players you'd expect. You know, it's Genie Finealdum, it's Daniel Sturridge, it's Bobby Firmino. You know, they're not necessarily bad in the air. They're not necessarily short players, but they're not you know big massive units. You know, they're not they're not they're not well, Bobby's Bobby's got that ability to ghost both in in play and and in um, set pieces between kind of centre backs and lose a marker. And Bobby's runs are very intelligent, and that's one of the things he always gets lauded for. But it's di- more difficult to see on a set piece because the box is so clustered. But he's excellent at just as the corner kicks being taken and taking a few steps kind of out of this whoever's marking his vision. It's usually one of the centre backs because the the marking system have been adapted now to realise that Firmino is actually ridiculously threatening. But even if, even if there's a slight lapse in marking these days with opposition players, it seems to always be Firmino who gets free. And sometimes his, his head and finishing needs like work as well because he's... I love him to death, but sometimes you think, well, if you were just more clinical with your head, you'd be able to score loads more. And last season, he was absolutely phenomenal in the penalty box because he transitioned from this false nine to an out-and-out striker. And this season, we've seen it a couple of times, um, the goal against Leicester as well. He just, it's that, that quick two steps as the corner's being taken in, sidestep away from his marker's vision, get rid of because the markers, markers use provisional vision. And, and uh, sorry, yeah, kind of their, their extended eye line. Um, and their kind of wider eyesight to keep track of their marker and then make sure that anyone who's running past them, they kind of can get intercept there and, and they're attacking the ball. 
the classic kind of zonal marking dinosaur, football dinosaurs verdict of, well, zonal marking doesn't work because every set-piece goal that ever gets conceded is because of zonal marking. Yeah, but every set-piece goal that doesn't get conceded is also because of zonal marking. Firmino's good at breaking that zonal marking kind of rigidity and that, that system to ghost between centre-backs. That's why he almost never kind of scores set-piece goals from a one-on-one aerial battle that he's won. It's always because he's either unmarked or he's jumped first. Um, and that's those little subtleties and those little tweaks. That seems to be... We, we talk about Klopp kind of trying to get the minor advantages all the time. I think his proficiency from set pieces with this team is more to do with both good delivery and those little runs and those little tweaks than it is just sheer aerial dominance. Otherwise, we'd be talking about Matip, Van Dyke. Gomez, Lovren scoring more from set pieces than, say, Sturridge, Firmino, Wijnaldum, who are all intricate and cheeky and kind of uh, more more kind of just in the right spot at the right time. And we've also done this, and, and I, I've noticed a story <clears throat> uh, doing this a couple of times a game where Van Dijk is just planted next to the keeper and just doesn't move. He just has his hands up and doesn't move, and he's so massive. And that's how we scored against Spurs, because uh, it was warm in goal. He just couldn't couldn't clear, clear it off Van Dyke because Van Dyke was just standing there, not moving, and the ball is uh, swung in towards the six-yard box, and then the keeper just can't move around Van Dyke, And it's not a foul because Van Dyke's not moving. And I think we do this at least a couple of times a game, where Van Dyke is just standing there, obstructing the keeper, and hoping for a for a mistake or a fumble. Yeah, sure. I think um, I think one interesting um thing we can't really talk about um set pieces without talking about Trent Alexander Arnold and his free kicks because it's so great to have a weapon like that anywhere within forty yards of the box. You can just put the ball. You know, you get a free kick in any of those sorts of areas, and you can just go to the lad. All right, then. You know, you've got a decent shot here. Go for the goal. Um, you know, and I think that's a really important. As I say, it's just another decent weapon to have in the arsenal. Trent has hit the woodwork like two or three times already from free kicks. And you yeah. also have Shikiri who almost scored and then Mo, Mo tapped it in against Southampton. Yeah, I think the, the Mo one's the only goal we've got from a free kick this season, but, um, you know, we're only, we're only, uh, seven league games in, so we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything we want to cover here, guys. So if there's anything, you guys want to jump in on, feel free to say your last kind of bits. I'll let you go first, Stefan. Then Alex, when Stefan's done, you can say your little, like, final few words. Uh, well, I have um, an article about Allison on the site. Uh, it was out today and how well he started, except for, you know, that one little blip against Lister. And feel free to check that out. Uh, I have some numbers on him. Um, Kind of breaking down the shots he's faced, the shots he's faced and he's had to save and how well he's done overall. And that's my plug. Awesome. And then Alex, is there anything you want to plug this week? Well, we started out by saying that we wouldn't talk about any European players from around the world, but I think now I'm going to have to indulge myself because, uh, yeah, my next article is going to be 10 youngsters that should, Liverpool should be keeping an eye on, or the first five of 10 youngsters. It's a two-part series. Um, and yeah, that's very, that was very enjoyable to write. It's going to be very enjoyable to discuss 
Um, so why I've just come from lauding Genie and his, his ability to be kind of the man in any system we want to play. And just on that, there was uh, one of the things I mentioned in the article that I was going to mention, but I forgot, was um, one album against Brighton misplaced one pass of 76. Uh, and that is the kind of... That's that's how you know that a player is comfortable and that's also how you know a player is necessary because any player who's able to keep the ball ticking with absolute assurance is uh, integral to everything that we would want to do. But that was just a little side stat. Yeah, keep keep tuned to AI on Twitter because my article will be out sometime in the next few days. Uh, and if you haven't already listened to the first episode of the community podcast where, yeah, I get to indulge myself even more by listening to other people talk about players from around Europe. Um, and that's, yeah, who doesn't want that? Yeah, um, always go and listen to Alex talking about young players from across Europe because he's he's dead good at that. He knows his young players from across Europe. Me and Liam were talking about me and Liam were talking about the the other day, and she was like, "I don't understand how he has all this time to watch football. I don't understand how he how he knows so much about football. It doesn't make sense." Um, as I mentioned at the start of the pod, I've got a storage article out. Um, well, it'll be out in the next couple of days anyway. And that's just sort of appreciating his new role on the side and how he's finally starting to sort of find his place in the team rather than anything else. Um, but yeah, other than that, just keep listening to the writers pod. Leanne and I, you know, we work really hard on it. It's something that we really enjoy doing and we love getting great writers on every week. Um, we will be back next week. Uh, not sure exactly when yet, but it'll be hopefully mid, middle to back end of the week. And until then, um, yeah, a big week for the Reds coming up with Napoli and Man, uh, Man City, sorry. So hopefully we come out of that with six points. But we will be back and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.